0: Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturdays at 530 and Sundays in person and online at 10. We look forward to connecting with you. Welcome. Welcome to our online audience, and if you're watching outside of Colorado, you might get a sense that all of us are on edge here because we've had three days of rain. We don't quite know what to do with that except turn our sprinklers off. <laughs> Someone before the service suggested that maybe the sermon today should be 10 easy steps to building an ark. Uh, I don't know that I would know even step one. So, Hey, a couple of things, some really good news, and then we're going to pray. And get rolling on a parable. Uh, The first is this, next week Paul Joslin's back. (laughs) Yeah, we have missed him tremendously. We are so glad he's coming back and he'll be in the office next week and then he'll be up here next Sunday, next weekend and uh, I hope that you'll give him a warm welcome, maybe even an email this week to welcome him back and just flood his box so he has more to do and uh, (laughs) just uh, look forward to greeting him in person. We have deeply missed Paul. Second thing, the high point of our worship today is going to be after this message, we're going to come to the table of the Lord, and we are going to remember Jesus, his body given for us, his blood shed for us, and we're going to be with him. And so I just want you all ready to be thinking about that and having conversation with Jesus, inviting the Holy Spirit to come, and even in a new and fresh and even deeper way, experience how much God loves you. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And we are going to sing a couple songs at the end as well. So stick around for some intense worship. Let's pray. As the great reformer John Calvin once opened a sermon, Lord Jesus Christ, in you, are hidden all the treasures of both wisdom and knowledge we pray that you would grant us now the humility and reverence to hear your word without this knowledge and reverence humility and reverence no one will see you or understand your truth come holy spirit open the eyes of our heart that we may see Jesus and truth and we all say together amen amen each week the church is animated by the first words of Jesus in the gospel of mark the kingdom of god is at hand it's here it's now repent make adjustments Align your life and trust. Jesus invites people to follow Him into the reality of His reign, a reign in which by the cross all the powers of evil, sin, and death have been disarmed. And by His resurrection, we are promised eternal life, and we live it now. We're reminded that when Jesus came, He didn't just bring forgiveness of sins, though we all value that immensely. Where would we be without a forgiven heart? But that's just the beginning. Jesus came to bring a kingdom, a rule and a reign where broken relationships are healed and brokenness in the world is restored. In every dimension of human life, psychologically, physically, spiritually, socially, racially, relationally, all across the human spectrums of life, the kingdom of God is invading with peace. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's why we're here. That's the frame through which we view everything in the world. The question is, how does the kingdom of God transfer, get from heart to heart to heart? The kingdom of God, our story today tells us, comes through hearing, not physical hearing. We're not talking about the ability to hear or deafness or anything like that. We're talking about an understanding. We're talking about like a new birth. Jesus coined the phrase born again to where all the realities of this kingdom come to life and come to vision. And it comes through hearing. Now, first of all, you have to sit back and say that's pretty radical because if you look at the kingdoms of earth and compared to the kingdom of heaven, which comes through hearing, the kingdom of earth, how do they come? Violence, at worst. Coercion at best. Violence. If you lived, you know, over 2,000 years ago and Alexander the Great came through your small town, after he was done and his kingdom came, there'd only be two kinds of people left. Subjects or corpses. Violence or coercion. You and I live in a coercion kingdom. We're on the edge of an election year. We know all about what's going to happen next. Coercion. Where at the end, the best we can hope for is that the 49% will submit to the 51%. And our leaders, they're not into listening. They're into gaining a hearing. The kingdom of God is so different. The kingdom of God is a seed, not a boulder. A boulder comes and smashes everything in sight. The kingdom of God is invisible and quiet. A boulder is external. A seed is internal. A, a boulder is violent and, and loud, and, and a seed is uh, organic and gentle. A boulder breaks the landscape. A seed transforms the landscape into a garden. The kingdom comes by hearing. Hearing. And hearing what? Hearing a message. Being able to understand a message that reframes your entire life and thrills your heart. And this message is this, that the Son of God, who lived in glory from eternity, left to do the Father's will and became a baby. And He lived among us the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He was subject to torture and killing. And that message... Seen in the heart changes a life to where Jesus calls and He says, look, now the way to find your life is to lose it. The way up is down. The way to get rich is to give all your money away. The way to gain power is to serve. The way to uh, uh, find help and wholeness is to walk through the suffering that you're currently in. It's a completely different kingdom. It comes by hearing this message of Jesus Christ. And here's all that to get to this point. The main way that Jesus talked about the kingdom is through parables. And we begin an eight-week summer series on the parables of Jesus. It's going to be, and I don't use this word lightly, and I don't often use it, But I believe it's going to be radical for us because that's what parables do. Parables, when heard, they trouble you enough to stand on one leg and lose your balance. That's a parable to question your foundation and to question your future. We will have our foundations questioned and our future questioned. In these next eight weeks as we listen to Jesus talk about what the kingdom of God is like now I could spend about 20 minutes talking you about the genre of a parable and what a parable meant in the ancient world but you'll be glad to know that I'm going to delegate that to the Bible Project, one of the great tools of our time. And I hope you are in some way uh, checking BibleProject.com daily. Uh, it, it's just a great way to read through scripture and to, to, ask, to answer our questions about scripture. They have a short film on parables. So let's take a look at the screen. Here's why Jesus told parables.
1: Jesus of Nazareth was a master teacher, and some of his most well-known teachings are told in short stories called parables.
2: Yeah, like the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for pearls. And when he found the ultimate pearl, he sold everything so that he could buy it.
1: Must have been some pretty amazing pearl.
2: Or the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that a farmer planted in his garden. It grew and became a huge tree, and birds came to perch in its branches.
1: And that's a beautiful image, but... What does it mean? Exactly.
2: Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective.
1: So let's talk about how to read the parables of Jesus. Now, there's many great teachers that throughout history have used stories to teach students about morality, religion, philosophy.
2: But Jesus didn't use his parables to teach abstract religious or moral ideals. He said that his parables were about himself and his mission.
1: His mission, which was to announce that the kingdom of God was arriving on earth
2: as it is in heaven. Right. So in Jesus' day, the Israelites were ruled by the Roman Empire. But their scriptures promised that one day their God would come to rule his people as king. And so many Israelites wanted to revolt against Rome and fight for their freedom. And this is what some people thought of as the kingdom of God. Exactly. But Jesus was a poor, traveling prophet, healing the sick, inviting people to follow him. And he said that this was the arrival of God's kingdom.
1: And that didn't fit people's expectations.
2: Right. And so Jesus used some parables to help people imagine that his small movement was the arrival of God's kingdom.
1: Oh, yeah, like the parable that the kingdom of God is yeast hidden in a lump of dough. And you might not see its influence, but it's going to change everything.
2: Jesus also told parables about the upside-down values of God's kingdom, about how the least important people in the world are actually the most important people to God, especially those who are poor and of low status.
1: Yeah, like the parable about the business owner who hired workers throughout the day, in the morning, later in the day, and even towards the end of the day. And when it was time to pay everyone, he paid them all the same wage.
2: Right. Jesus is showing how money and status are irrelevant to God, who offers his generous mercy to everybody.
1: Now, not all of the parables have
2: happy endings. Some are really intense. Yes, Jesus stood in the tradition of Israel's prophets, who also told parables to criticize Israel's leaders because they mistook their kingdom for God's. So Jesus warned the leaders of his day: If they don't accept his offer of God's kingdom, they're headed for destruction.
1: Yeah, like the parable of the landowner who built a wonderful vineyard and he expects it to produce fruit. Yes, Jesus gets this parable from the prophet Isaiah, but then he adapts it. Right, and so the landowner appoints managers to take care of this vineyard. And at harvest, he sends servants to collect the fruit but those managers
2: kill the servants. And so the landowner sends his own son to confront the managers and they kill him too. And so Jesus asked the people around him, what do you all think this landowner should do?
1: Oh, he's gonna punish those managers and hire new ones.
2: Jesus knew that if Israel kept on their current path, they would be destroyed by Rome. And so in parables like this, he's forcing people to make a decision about his offer of God's kingdom. Are people going to reject him, ignore him, or trust and follow him?
1: Now, if this message of God's kingdom is so important, why cloak it in parables? Why not be more clear?
2: Well, through riddles and parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to people who were open-minded. For those who have ears to hear, they could ponder it and go deeper. But the parables would also conceal his message from those who were against him so that he could buy more time. Buy time for what? Well, Jesus was preparing his closest followers for the greatest surprise yet. Jesus claimed that Israel's God was coming to rule over his people not through coercion or violent force, but through self-giving love as he was going to die for their sins.
1: But his death wasn't the end.
2: Right. He said that his death would be like a tiny seed buried in the ground. But then it would grow and produce a crop with many seeds. So, these parables, they explain who Jesus
1: was and what he was up to.
2: And the Gospel authors have preserved these parables so that now every generation of Jesus' followers can read and ponder them. And imagine how God's kingdom is still at work even today. Right. These ancient parables are still full of new surprises and challenges. They're like a storehouse packed with treasures, some that are new, some that are
0: old, and it's all just waiting to be discovered. Waiting to be discovered. That'll be us the next eight weeks. There's a word in the video I want to pull out and just, uh, uh, again, before we jump into the first one, just for some preparation. And that was the word intense. I do believe these next weeks will be intense. They'll be intense in here and out there. In here, because, again, the parables, the kingdom of God is unlike Alexander's. You can say no to the kingdom of God. And I'm guessing in a crowd this size, There's people who are sitting here kind of enamored with the environment of the the kingdom, shall we say, kind of wanting to find out more. But at this current moment in your life, you're you're saying no. And the whole purpose of a parable is to knock the nose off both feet, to, to slope the floor, and to get them questioning their own foundations and their own future. And some of that will be happening here. But take heart. This is exactly how Jesus related to those who didn't believe in Him. I think sometimes the church, we spend far too much time trying to, and I'm, I'm not begrudging Waterstone or any church, but I think sometimes we're more worried about like, how cool our songs are and how great our preaching is, amen, okay. <laughs> than we are about relating to people the good news of the kingdom the way Jesus did. And do you know how he did? Luke 9, for instance, a guy comes up to him, and he says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And if that happened here at Waterstone, I would connect that person to Brooke Schmidt, and they'd be in our next membership class. Let's go. You know what Jesus said to this man? Foxes have A parable. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, that is not very secret sensitive right there. I'm telling you, what are you doing? Jesus is more concerned that we are following him for him, not following him so that we get him in our kingdom. Be prepared. It's going to get intense out there as well. Do you know why? Because Jesus is a parable, right? A parable means someone or something thrown alongside to compare with. So Jesus is thrown down alongside, and we realize how far short we are from God, and we need him. Well, if Jesus is a parable, and you and I are becoming like Jesus, what does that make us? A parable. We are a parable following Jesus, which means when we're thrown down alongside our neighbors and our co-workers and our friends and our relatives, and they begin to see some of our values, like why would you give up a perfectly good Sunday morning to do this? Why do you spend the money the way you do? Why do you talk to your kids the way you do? Why do you do what you do? And your neighbors are watching you. And some of your value choices thrown down alongside theirs are going to call their foundations and their future into question because you are a parable. I'm just giving you a heads up. It's going to be intense, and we're going to love it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Seek First, the kingdom of God. Here's the first parable. This is how people hear the kingdom of God. There was a farmer, and he was just throwing seed everywhere. He was a prodigal planter, didn't care where it went. Just throw it, throw it, throw it. Some of the seed ended up on the hard footpath between the fields, and as soon as it hit the ground, sparrows and finches came in and ate that seed. Pick, 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 pick and some seed fell on shallow soil because in Palestine everything's rocks and some of the soil is very thin we would call it in Pennsylvania peat moss i don't know what they call it in colorado but just very thin soil very rich dew like and the seed would pop up but then when the sun reached noon it would wilt like a rose on a denver dashboard in july and some of the seed fell in the weed patch where these prickly weeds started to grow up and there was not enough room to stretch and not enough nutrients and the weeds said, we were here first, and so they choked the seed out. And some of the seed fell on rich Amish soil. And it produced a yield of a hundred and sixty and thirty percent. All of them, all of them, super bloom yields do you have ears? Are you listening? Jesus tells that story in Matthew 13. He's at the high point of his popularity. In fact, in this specific instance, when he preaches this sermon in Matthew 13, the crowds are so thick and dense that the text says in Matthew 9 earlier that the whole region was coming out to hear him. And there were so many people on the beach that they put Jesus out in a boat and they did this for two reasons. One is so that he could face the whole crowd and two, in that day, that was your sound system. You'd bounce your voice off the water and you could talk to thousands of people at once. Jesus, as he did then, if he were here now, he did what he did. He talked about the kingdom of God. And he begins by telling stories of what the kingdom of God is like. And after he tells this story, his disciples are like, huh? And they ask him, why did you speak in parables? The Bible Project guys answered that for us. And then Jesus comes back, guys, here's what I mean about this parable. Here's what it's like to hear about the kingdom of God. There's four kinds of hearers, four kinds of soil tests. The first is this. This, the news of the kingdom goes out and it lands on the footpath, the, the hard soil. And um, we read about this in verse 19 of chapter 13. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, so haha, we find out these sparrows are satanic sparrows. Uh, they come and snatch away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The idea here is that it never really registers. They hear about the kingdom of God. They take it in, they think about it, but it never gets deep into the heart. It's a hard path. Why is it that some people hear about the kingdom of God and they walk away? It just never Register. I was thinking about this week. You know, I've been at Waterstone almost 30 years now, and we've averaged 20 to 25 funerals a year during that time. And I did some math and estimated that over the 30 years, the amount of funerals we've done at Waterstone, we've filled these seats. There's been close to 30,000 people that have sat here for a funeral. And you, if you've ever been to a funeral here at Waterstone, we go at it. We talk about all of us being terminally ill. We're all going to be dead. And the only hope we have is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He walked out of His own grave. That's our only hope. And we preach it. And people come up to me, oh, Larry, that was was a really good talk. Yeah. What time are your services? I'll see you then. You know, I would guess over 30 years, maybe 10 people that I've ever seen come back to a service at Waterstone. Why? Why? Hard soil. Hard soil. Before it even hits the ground. The devil. Pick, 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 pick. What's on TV? You know, I, I'm convinced the devil's best work is a rectangle. Anything to distract us from thinking about foundations and future is the devil's best work. There's hard soil. I'm going to come at you right now. Where are you this morning? Hard in your heart? Does the kingdom of God and this idea of Jesus in charge, does it thrill you? Does it cut you? Does that truth grab you by the throat? Does it encourage you? Does it challenge you? Or is it eh, kind of what I expected to hear this morning? What time is it? second kind of soil test some of the seed fell on shallow soil if the first soil is the hard soil this is the shallow soil over a rock very thin and the seed hits and man it just shoots up because that is so nutrient they fall in love with the environment it's just like i want to be a part of this this is a happening place i'll stand in line to get into this church yeah but then the sun reaches its high point, and in the text we read in verses 20 and 21 what the heat is. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once. and re- This is the scary part, right? Receives it with joy. Like, there's a change here, and there's an ascent, and there's a yes. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And here's the, here's the heat. When trouble or persecution comes, Because of the word, they quickly fall away. Trouble or persecution comes. Shallow soil. Let's just think about that for just a moment. This is a person who likes all the benefits and all the joyful environment, and they're in, but then when hard times come, they really view the kingdom... (laughs) They view the kingdom kind of like John the Baptist viewed the kingdom, right? A little bit earlier before this text in Matthew 10, there's this little, like, everything's happening in Jesus, you know, and like a TV show, they cut back to to another character and another little story, and they show John the Baptist, and poor John the Baptist, he's sitting in jail. He's about to have his head chopped off, little did he know, and... He's asking his, some of his disciples about Jesus. <laughs> now, again, understand, this is the John the Baptist that when he baptized Jesus, heard the actual voice of the Father say, this is my son, I love him, listen to him. But John the Baptist is actually a year into Jesus' ministry, two years in, is this the one who was going to come or should we wait for someone else? Why is he asking that? Because Rome's still in charge. And things are a mess. And because he's sitting in a jail, his life is falling apart. That's the heat. And we all ask that question. We all really wonder when our circumstances get stuck. Like John the Baptist himself, is this the kingdom I really want? I was hoping for a little more. I was hoping that me becoming part of the kingdom would actually mean Jesus becoming part of my kingdom. I was really looking for a problem solver, not a Lord. I was really looking for a solution to my suffering, not a savior from my sins. I was really looking for someone who could fix my life, not someone who asked me to throw down everything in front of him. My friends, here's this soil. Here's the difference between shallow and deep and again, this is harsh, but trying to keep the tone of Jesus, a shallow soil is a person who thinks that the measure of God's love and presence in your life is how good your circumstances are. Compared with a depth of a person who knows no matter how bad your circumstances are, I know God's presence and love because of the cross. The cross is proof of love. No matter what my circumstances are or are not, I know God loves me because His Son died on a cross. And that's how I value and look at His presence in my life. Even when Things are really, really hard. That's what keeps you in the heat. There's a third kind of soil, and that's the thorn, the weed patch. And look how Jesus describes and interprets this soil for us. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Notice the weeds. They're pernicious weeds. The first one, he ref- the worries of this life, it could be translated the anxieties of the age. Anxieties of the age. Again, we're coming into an election year. We're going to hear all about the anxieties of the age in our mailboxes and relentless television commercials. The anxieties of the age. These weeds grow up, we absorb them, and we become deeply worried about our 401Ks, the, the market, health and health care, schools, security, crime, You know, all those lists. We go down and down, and the anxieties of the age consume us because we put all our, our hope and our trust in our leaders and our, our abilities that we can fix these things. And as long as we do that, we're choking. Or we go to the second weed, which we think, and this is the deceitfulness of wealth. And I'm not going to preach last week's sermon again. We hit on this last week. But it's simply this we often think that money fixes everything, it does for about five minutes, or maybe 70 years. What then? weeds. This kind of soil is listening with a divided heart. So there's the hard heart, there's the shallow heart, and there's the, the uh, divided heart. And this kind of soil is, are, is people who, yes, Jesus is Lord, and I want to follow Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and I want to get to heaven when I die. But, man, my heart leads into a little relief over here. Give me some break. So these people will use sexuality in any fashion that calms their heart for 30 seconds. Or they'll use work to get significance that they don't get anywhere out and they're just good at what they do. Or they use money for pleasure. They use you know, sports for escape, Whatever it is, you, we know all the kind of weeds. And the hard part is if we're trying to share our loyalties and allegiance that way. We know Jesus is King, but we're doing all this stuff for 30-second breaks. How does it feel after we do it? Terrible. Because we know who the King is, but we're giving a lot to this. And we're wasting a lot of psychological and emotional and spiritual energy because the guilt and regret consumes us. And it's, this, it's Paul in Romans chapter 7, right? Paul himself struggled with this. We all struggle with this. The things I should do, I don't. The things I don't do, I sh- that I should. Who will help me? Deliver me. Praise be to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He will deliver me. But this is the kind of soil and this is the kind of person who knowing and wanting Jesus to be king but spending so much time over here trying to feed their heart from the other side so to speak they get to age 65 70 and realize they've neglected their praying life, they've neglected reading the Bible, which is the story of the kingdom, they've neglected relationships, they've neglected you know, caring for themselves, practicing the Sabbath. They get to 65, 70, and what they find is, oh man, I've got a lot to rebuild here, and most of their life is now about trying to rebuild, but mostly even more about the nubbins of regret that they'll spend the rest of their life trying to rectify. That's the thorns. There's a fourth kind of soil. And this is the soil described, and Jesus told it in verse 8. Other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The good soil. This is the soil that makes room as much room as they possibly can, in disciplined ways, in spontaneous ways. Sometimes it's just a way to look at the world, but they're always trying to say, like the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus, I'm watching. I'm watching. Show me your kingdom. Show me your kingdom. Where you're at work, I'll read about it in the scriptures. I'll make room. I'll make time. I'll give myself to your kingdom. And as Matthew chapter 6 says, God will take care of everything out. I mean, he does close the sparrows and he designs the daisies. He'll take care of you too. So let him take care of that stuff. You be on the lookout for me. That's the first parable That's what it's like to hear. The kingdom comes by hearing, and we hear it in many different ways. Some heart is too hard, some the soil is too shallow, some there's thorns stopping the growth, and some have figured out that the whole reason they exist is to seek first the kingdom of God. So as we prepare to come to the table, three quick lessons. First, don't ever give up on anybody, <laughs> right? Broadcast spreader. He's throwing that seed everywhere. Prodigal planner. We sometimes think, oh, let's, there's a fence here. Let's not throw any over on that side. That person's too far gone. That, that will never grow. Uh-uh. Broadcast spreader. We throw the seed everywhere. No one is beyond the reach of God's kingdom. We don't quit. I bet in a room this size, in the crowd like this, there's like 50 of you in here who, if your relatives, knowing you 10 years ago, now see you sitting in church, they would need an antacid. Because of the work that God's done in your heart. We do not quit on people. We don't give. My life verse is Ecclesiastes 9 4. Better to be a sick dog than a dead lion. While you're alive, there's always hope. And I've seen people with their last breath say the name Jesus. We don't quit on people. keep throwing the name, keep throwing the kingdom. You're the parable. Second lesson, don't ever think it's all up to you. No farmer that I know of, and I grew up in Pennsylvania, I know some farmers, I've never seen one put the seed in the ground and then stand there and go, grow, 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 grow. Do you know that God grows the seed? It doesn't depend on your winsome, sparkly personality. It doesn't depend on how much you know or don't know about the Bible or God or theology. Mm -mm. It doesn't depend even on your prayers. Ooh, thin ice here. Stay with me. I was once in Mali, West Africa with one of our missionaries, Doug Wilson, and he, <laughs> he said, you know the problem with the American church? Well, I said, no, Doug, tell me. <laughs> he said it relies far too much on prayer than actually talking to people about Jesus. <clears throat> and he's right. No one is saved by prayer. Everyone who is saved has been saved because someone told them about Jesus. That's why Jesus says, and Jesus doesn't pray for people to be saved. What did he pray? Lord, send workers into the harvest. It doesn't depend on us, even our prayers. It depends on God growing the seed. It's His field. Lastly, it's not how you start, but how you continue. This is really like getting intense here. God is as concerned about your perseverance as He is your profession. I think sometimes in Western, even American Christianity, it's been, oh, you just say the prayer, you're good to go. I think you'd have trouble proving that from Jesus' teaching. Jesus is not as concerned about your initial profession. He wants to know right now, today, where are you with the kingdom of God? It's not how you start. It's how you continue. And so I come to you humbly and gently, but asking, are you good with God today? Your past doesn't matter. Anything you've done doesn't matter, good or hard. Today, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Prepare our hearts for the table. I'll walk us through a bit of a guided prayer and we'll take some pauses to really talk to Jesus for a moment. So Jesus, today, You've spoken to us how we need to hear about the kingdom of God. And You've said there are some with hard hearts. And Jesus, You're saying to us now, don't listen with a hard heart. Let the Word come in, the Word of Your kingdom, and affect us deeply. So maybe for some of us here as we prepare to be with Jesus at the table, we need to check how busy we are. Are we so busy, committed to even good things, that there's very little room for Christ or His kingdom? Jesus, would you restore the joy of your kingdom to us? Jesus says, don't listen with a shallow heart. Recognize that the message of the kingdom is that we are sinners, and our main problem has been our rebellion and our sin. But the cross brings us forgiveness and life. So, no matter how bad or hard our circumstances, we will remember that Jesus loves us because of the cross. So today, Waterstone, we look at the cross as proof of love. And then Jesus says, Don't listen with a divided heart. As the church has sung to me for hundreds of years, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus, we want to give you our whole heart and every part of our lives submitted. So we can go to the gardener today, the farmer, and ask for help in pulling out the thorns and lifting up the rocks. And do you know what Jesus will say, our good gardener? He'll say, of course. I took your thorns. I took your rocks. I mean, for crying out loud, I died under one. But was that rock the end of me? (laughs) Hell no. And your circumstances are not the end of you. The kingdom of God comes by hearing. So take heed how you hear. In Jesus' name, amen.